Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You asked for it. You get it. Oh, yeah. That's for you, Ryan. Hey, the votes came in. Ernst and Young tabulated the ballots. I actually had to have uh, a 27-digit password to get the results of the voting this evening. But you asked for it. You wanted it. When this show is called at your service, I mean it. So that's for you, Ryan. And all the folks who love that song on Friday night, not me, but I'm playing it for you. That's just how much I appreciate you listening to Camo X. That we'll even play music that I don't like. <laughs> hey, Mary's been holding through that break. Uh, hey, Mary, welcome to Camo X. Hi, it's Mary. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm calling from California, Pennsylvania. Did you know where that's at? Washington County? Nope, never been there. So what's on your mind this evening? I want the governor of Pennsylvania to bring back the electric chair for capital punishment because all this crime's going on. Did you know my my nephew, Jimmy Package? Nope. I think we lost her. Sorry about that, Mary. She was calling from Pennsylvania, which is interesting because uh, we had been discussing some of those uh, cases coming out of Pennsylvania tonight, and we've got a couple more things in the news here uh, from Pennsylvania. So we will get to those in due course. You know, at the top of the hour, at the top of the hour, you heard on CBS News about the ceasefire, uh, the ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. And, uh, and I, I don't know if you've thought about it in these terms or not, but you've seen all those pictures, haven't you? They've been amazing pictures of all of these rockets that are being fired uh, from the Palestinian state, from Hamas, and they shoot hundreds, if not thousands, of these rockets at Israel. And Israel has something, because I'm, I'm a military technology nut, Israel has something that they jointly developed with the United States called Iron Dome. It's very similar to what we have, have had in the United States since the 90s called the Patriot Missile System, where stuff's coming in, and we can track it and shoot it down before it lands, before it hits. Except in Israel, they've got the Iron Dome system. Very effective, very accurate, and it's worked extremely well over the past 11 days of this shooting war with the Palestinians. But what's interesting is, is that Iron Dome was developed with American money. And it shoots missiles that are in part built in America. So 
I was just thinking during the break while uh, while I was hearing the the top of the hour news with CBS that that Israel is being defended by missiles bought from America using a system that was developed using American money. But they were, they bought this system Israel did with money that they received from America. And they're shooting down Hamas rockets that are made in Iran with money that Iran received from America. You know, during the uh, Obama administration, America gave $1.7 billion to Iran. And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, some of that money was has been funneled into making these rockets that are given to Hamas that are then shot at Iran. So we've got Israel... <laughs> Again, Israel being defended by missiles bought from America using money they received from America, shooting down Hamas rockets that were made in Iran with money they received from America. So the, the, the American fingerprints are all over this situation. I'm glad we've got a ceasefire. But more importantly, I'm glad that the, the world did not cave to this call for, oh, Israel has to stop uh, uh, hurting the Palestinians. Because, listen, if you've ever seen those rockets that are being fired from Palestine into Israel, Israel was clearly defending themselves. They went out of their way to reduce casualties, and they were focusing on military strikes against military targets. They were not trying to injure or damage civilians. So I'm glad that there's a ceasefire, but I'm glad that that Israel did not cave to this idea that somehow they're doing something other than defending their homeland against attacks from a terrorist organization called Hamas. So I applaud Israel for standing tough on that and and defending themselves from Hamas. When we come back from this uh, break, we're going to talk a little bit about the latest evidence that has come out that shows that the COVID-19 virus did exactly what I said it did in December of 2019, which is it leaked from a lab in Wuhan. There's new evidence. I'm going to go through that evidence with you because you probably won't see it on the mainstream media, but I will give it to you here this evening on At Your Service on Camo X. Don't go away. Friday night, the Cards open a three-game homestand against the Cubs. And you can hear it here. Hammond Pregame Show 620. First pitch 715 on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you uh, this evening. I hope you are having a great evening. Hey, before the break, I, uh, I teased a bit about the story about the COVID uh, lab leak theory. And, you know, what's interesting, at least from my perspective, is when 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 did you first hear about COVID? What was the first thing that you heard? I The first thing that I heard was in December of 2019. And as soon as the story came out that there was this virus going around, I said to my wife that uh, the, the, the Chinese equivalent of the Center for Disease Control called the Wuhan virus or the Wuhan Center for Vi- Virology, I said, that's based in, in Wuhan, China. And the fact that there's some weird coronavirus coming out of Wuhan, it's got to be related. It's got to be a leak from this lab. That's the most likely scenario, right? I said that the, the 30 seconds after I first heard the story about this COVID virus in China. And then as the story started to unfold, 
Uh, there, there was just this lockstep uh, hatred against anyone who asserted that theory, that somehow if you asserted that it leaked from the lab, you were being anti-Asian, uh, which I, I don't understand that at all. Those are two completely, that's a non sequitur. One has nothing to do with the other. I mean, you can be, you, you, don't, you don't have to be a racist against Asians to think that a virus leaked from a lab. Those two things are unconnected, completely unconnected. Now, what I do reject is people who conduct or, or uh, go forward with violence against Asians because they blame China for the virus. That's reprehensible. But that has nothing whatsoever to do with whether or not this virus came from the lab or not. So since then, there's been mounting evidence. And just today, the House Intelligence Committee report was released of course, it was only by Republicans who released this report because the Democrats didn't want to release this report. But they, they went through some new evidence that's that's not been released. I haven't seen any of this evidence before, and it released, and there's probably more evidence than this because I can promise you that some of the evidence in this report would be classified because Congress cannot release information that would disclose their methods or manner in which the information was obtained. So if they got this from the CIA, for example, they're not going to release this information. So this is just the information that was released based upon what's called uh, public sourcing. So we don't know how much more evidence there is, how much better evidence there is, but this is what came out today. And again, I didn't see this story reported much at all in the mainstream media, because the narrative is somehow, if you think the virus leaked from the lab, you're a racist. And I, I don't even understand that leap of logic. I understand the leap of logic that says if you try to blame individual Asians or Asian Americans for something that came out of China, that's bad behavior, that's hate speech or hate actions, and that's reprehensible and should be. Uh, should be called out. Absolutely. But I don't understand that connection to saying it leaked from a lab. I just, I don't, I don't get that. But the evidence here that was just released today, that as far as I know, has not been discussed publicly. There's just about four or five of these. I'm just going to briefly mention these because I want you to think about this as you start hearing more and more uh, of the narrative that, oh, there's no way this leaked from a lab. When in reality, that's the most likely scenario. First, a U.S. State Department memo from January was released that revealed, and I'm quoting, several researchers at the Wuhan lab were sickened with the COVID-19-like symptoms in the fall of 2019, unquote. Now, what we were told was that somebody got this from eating a bat or something that was sold uh, in, this, in this market in Wuhan. But that was in late, late, like the winter of 2019. So if there were researchers at the Wuhan lab who were sickened with COVID-19-like symptoms, that's hard to say that it, it did not get leaked from the lab. Secondly, media reports that there were no cell phone activity inside the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology between October 7 and October 24 of 2019, suggesting a possible shutdown or blackout at the facility. And it's interesting, they, they mentioned that this is sourced from uh, uh, media reports. Now, I you know that the CIA is tracking some information about cell phone activity 
at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But this is only based upon publicly sourced information. Thirdly, warnings from U.S. diplomats in China in 2017, 2017, that the Wuhan lab was, and again, I'm quoting, conducting dangerous research on coronaviruses without following necessary safety protocols, risking the accidental outbreak of a pandemic, unquote. That was a warning from U.S. diplomats in China in 2017. How can you get any more specific than that, that, they, that they're experimenting with coronaviruses, they're conducting dangerous research, and they're not following protocols, and they're risking the accidental outbreak of a pandemic? Hmm, now I wonder what that would look like if a coronavirus pandemic escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What would that look like? Well, we know exactly what that looks like. Millions of people killed, economies trashed, people stuck in our homes for the past year, all because these people working at the Institute of Virology in Wuhan did not take adequate safety precautions. Fourth, a recent scientific study concluding that COVID-19 has, quote, several characteristics that when taken together are not easily explained by natural origin hypothesis, unquote. Now, what does that mean in English? In English, that means there is no way scientists have not been able to replicate this virus as coming from a natural origin because it has the unique qualities of several different types of coronaviruses. Hmm, it looks as, looks as if it was made in a lab. That's what it looks like because there is no uh, original hypothesis source, scientists haven't been able to find it, where this could have originated naturally in some bat in China that somebody thought looked good for lunch. Fifth, China has a history of viral outbreaks from its research labs, including one in 2004 in Beijing tied to an outbreak of severe acute Respiratory syndrome, which was a coronavirus in 2004. Now, the one in 2004 was a confirmed leak from a research lab. So in 2004, a coronavirus leaked from a lab in Beijing. So, you know, at, at some point, at some point when you add all of this evidence up together, it becomes rather obvious that this virus leaked from a lab. Now, the question is, what do we do about it? And why is this political? In other words, why is this something that Republicans tend to be advancing the story? And why is it that Democrats are resisting the story? To me, that's the part that's interesting, because that gets to the, the philosophical and the ideas behind why different people are causing or are taking these political positions with something that truly should not be political. Let's be real. This is not a political issue, and yet it's been turned into a political issue. I have no problem. If we can locate the source of this and find China's responsible, uh, there's no, really no way where you can effectively sue another country for a situation like this, despite Eric Schmidt's attempt to the contrary. But I have no problem with calling out China if they're responsible. And if they're not responsible, then let's don't call them out. But why does it have to be a political issue? Why do the parties have to take these positions on this issue? That, to me, is troubling. 
But if it is sourced to the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, then why can't the world, at least morally, why can't the world hold China accountable? I understand financially may not be an issue, but we can certainly, we can certainly hold them responsible, responsible for this morally. Now, I just got a text in that says, China lies, they lie, cheat, and steal. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. And we've seen that in this particular instance because the study that was put out by the World Health Organization just a few months ago, just a few months ago, it completely absolved China of any responsibility for the coronavirus. And even the head of the World Health Organization said, you cannot trust this study because China wouldn't give us any information and they influenced the researchers. So, so that you, you couldn't trust that study. Even the head of the World Health Organization said that that study was fake. That said that absolved China of any responsibility for the coronavirus. So I hope at some point we can set the politics aside, that we can stop calling this a Democrat or a Republican issue, and just call it a moral issue. That if this was released either accidentally or on purpose, I don't think it was on purpose, but if this were, was accidentally released from the Wuhan lab, why can't we at least morally hold China responsible for infecting the planet? I don't understand why we cannot do that. Hey, when we come back uh, from this break, we've got more interviews to go here on Camo X. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Worker play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. And uh, if you think about it, issues have a priority. I mean, if your house is burning down, you're you're no longer worried about whether the living room carpet is faded, okay? Because it's all of a sudden it's not an issue. So over the past year, I think uh, correctly, we've been pretty much focused on combating COVID and recovering from COVID. But now that we're seeing that light at the end of the proverbial COVID tunnel, it's really time to start focusing on other issues. So joining us this evening is uh, St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakas. Uh, Councilman Trakas, welcome back to KMOX. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Always good to speak with you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you as well. Uh, this week, you announced a plan to introduce legislation seeking to hire additional attorneys to work for the county in the area of code enforcement. But before we get into all those details, what are some of the code enforcement issues that are that you see, at least, that are plaguing St. Louis County? Well, the um, 
the bill I introduced uh, was based on a request of the county councilor for five additional attorneys. I, my bill increases that by two to seven. The two additional attorneys would be um, designated exclusively for uh, problem property um, enforcement actions. And by that, I mean whether it's um, unlawful dumping in North County or what's more prevalent in my district is um, properties that have been allowed to fall into disrepair and owned by absentee owners, or even if they're resident owners, they're not complying with county code ordinances. And in, so, in some cases, they've got, this has gone on literally for years, Brad. So we need to take a hard line with it. And that's these, these lawyers is the first step in a uh, multi-step plan I have to try and do that. Yeah, we we've seen a lot. It's been reported quite a bit over the past few weeks about the the, the dumping issue in Wellston and in other areas. I think that's been covered mm-hmm. quite a bit. But what, for, at least from your constituents that are, that have brought this up to you, what are some of the problems with absentee owners? Because I know someone may be sitting there thinking, "Well, what's the big deal? Somebody owns a house next door. Uh, there's nobody in it. Why is that a problem?" So, what what have your constituents been telling you is is a problem mm-hmm. with some of these absentee owners? Well, in, in the classic example that you've just cited, a house that's empty has fallen into disrepair and is, but frank, frankly, just a blight on the community. Mm-hmm. That's one example. Another example would be an absentee owner who's leasing his property um, but not maintaining it. And um, <clears throat> the uh, renter certainly is not obligated to do the maintenance. And um, in other instances, we have um, owners of properties that are running businesses um, improperly and in, in the violation of county ordinances out of their home, whether it's automobile repair or other types of uh, work like that. And then um, in other instances, we have commercial enterprises that are allowing their operations to bleed out into residential areas adjoining that property. And um, but again, violating code ordinances with impunity. In some of these instances, Brad, and I'm not being hyperbolic here, these matters have gone on in municipal court for seven, eight years wow. with these owners owners being allowed to make nominal progress and then the courts um, giving them uh, another six months and another six months. And so my goal is to put an end to that. The first step is hiring lawyers and the creation of a dedicated unit within the counselor's office to deal exclusively, exclusively with the prosecution of problem property violations. Yeah, and I want to get into those nuts and bolts. We're talking to uh, St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trake. I said a lot of times these types of code violations are called nuisance violations, but, you know, I, I don't like that term because nuisance violation makes it seem like they're not very important. But these are the kind of issues that if you've got this uh, abandoned property on your block and it drives down the value of your home and it attracts animals and it it, uh, it it just irks at you every day when you drive by that abandoned property. This is the kind of stuff that drives homeowners crazy, isn't it? And rightly so, Brad, and, and that's exactly correct. They th- These folks are maintaining their property. They have every right to expect to be able to live in a community that um, the properties are at least maintained. And, and when we have uh, chronic violators that year in and year out allow the property to fall into disrepair or try to operate an, an unauthorized 
business out of the house or some other type of violation, the the, uh, the neighbors in that community on that street have every right to be outraged mm-hmm. at the county's failure to do anything about it. Right. Yeah. And and I'm glad that you're stepping up to the plate and, and doing something about this. And and your proposed solution about hiring an additional two attorneys over what the county counselor's office had recommended, your solution, yeah. your solution is hiring more attorneys. But folks may wonder how on earth is hiring two more attorneys? How is that going to help combat these code enforcement issues? So what's your idea with this? Well, here here's I mean, try to make it as as easy to follow as possible. Basically, what what we have right now is what's called a problem property unit. Now, that unit um, is comprised of employees with the Department of Transportation and Public Works, um, law enforcement from the St. Louis County Police Department, occasionally Department of Health, and the counselor's office. Now, the Public Works um, employees, the um, police officers, routinely um, are are permanently assigned or assigned for, for significant periods of time. So they're very familiar not only with the code, but the violators and which areas and which, prob, which properties um, need attention. Um, where we've been dropping the ball is the counselor's office um, rotates folks in and out of the property, problems property unit, problem properties unit. And so we're constantly having to deal with a learning curve. I want to eliminate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to model it after... Um, other cities and counties where we have a designated problem properties unit within the counselor's office. These attorneys, both of them, that would be their full-time job. Um, Seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, So they're very familiar with the code. They're very familiar with the properties and the owners and the problem. And so that there's not going to be easily misled at a hearing in front of the municipal court. And the last piece, Brad, and, and in my opinion, the most important, because where these balls get dropped all the time is in municipal court. So I intend to, uh, and actually, I've actually got um, <clears throat> it in the works right now, to uh, undertake a summit with myself, the county counselor, Beth Orwick, a representative from the county executive's office, and the director of the muni courts. And my goal is to establish uh, a municipal, a problem properties court within the municipal court. And that may be a once a month docket um, or whatever. But what again, the goal is to make sure the judges are fully advised in the premises and fully educated in what these problems are. So that when we have a chronic offender, at some point, the judge is going to have to draw the line. Yeah, it seems to me like that would that would really reduce this this problem that I've seen, which is you've got uh, these repeat offenders who come maybe before a different judge. They think it's not that exactly. big of a deal. But if all this was in a dedicated court, much like what we see with drug courts or family exactly. courts, where they're they're dedicated to a specific topic and it increases the court's effectiveness to deal with that particular issue. Exactly, Brad, because if you can imagine if you have a new county counselor and a new judge they're not going to be familiar with, with this offender, how many times he's been there necessarily, and are they going to be prepared to draw the line? We need to address that. Once that's addressed and when the penalty is appropriate, once one or two or three of these people wind up having to be sentenced to jail time, I can assure you you're going to see a fundamental change in mm-hmm. um, compliance. Yep, consequences. As it, as, right. As it, as it stands now, those consequences are never imposed. 
Mm, boy, that's 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 an excellent point. We're talking to St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakas, and and I want to ask you this: Does does this proposal, this idea that you've had, not only add attorneys but make this dedicated court to this particular issue? How much support do you think this has with other members of the county council? That's hard to say. I um, I don't know. Um, I know that, and you may recall this, Brad. About three or four weeks ago, I had um, bills on the agenda that were, would have authorized the county counselor's office to retain outside law firms to represent the county in employment and race discrimination cases that have been filed by detainees or their families at the um, Justice Center and by employees by, of the police department and, and other employees in the county. Well, the council refused to pass those bills. So now we are left with the reality that the county counselor's office has to undertake the defense of those lawsuits. Now, this is not to say that the counselor's office is not competent to do so, but but the point on those suits is they are very specialized, um, and, and it always is a benefit to have highly experienced lawyers doing it. Well, we don't have a, a, a great number of highly experienced lawyers in the counselor's office, so my plan, by adding five lawyers to the general um, work of the counselor's office will free up more senior people to focus on these um, serious litigation matters so that we can at least hope to mount a, an aggressive defense against these lawsuits as we would have ever had we been able to hire outside counsel. But, um, and we're not talking about that much money, Brad, I think total is under $400,000. Um, and so the, the idea that, that we shouldn't stand for defending the County is I just don't understand how someone cannot be behind this. Well, I'm glad I'm behind this. I'm behind this, and I'm glad that you are, and I'm going to be following this closely because this affects all of St. Louis County, and it, it's it's an issue that really has been ignored for a very long time, particularly over the past year. So I'm glad that you're finally uh, uh, lighting a fire under this particular issue and drawing attention to it. Uh, St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis, uh, thanks for coming on this evening with us on CAMOX. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate the opportunity to tell your listeners uh, about this, and hopefully we'll get support for it. Great. Hope to talk to you soon. Okay, Brad. Take care. And uh, Councilman Trakis joins us this evening on the Bomarito Automotive Group guest line. We'll be back uh, right after this with more of Camo X at your service. Earning St. Louis's trust for 96 years. This is KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service. Uh, a little while ago, we had the uh, the blessed opportunity to talk with our very own Johnny Rabbit. And you know he is just a wealth of knowledge about St. Louis. He truly is. What a guy. And one of the things uh, he mentioned he's got coming up is this uh, program that he's hosting along with the uh, Missouri History Museum. And they're going to be talking about St. Louis's great soda and ice cream companies. Now, this is coming up on Monday, May 24th. And if you want to register for this virtual uh, presentation, you can go watch it live. It's online. You don't have to go anywhere at stlouisoasis.org. And then in the search bar, you put in number 9320, and it will take you to that program. It's Monday, May 24th. That's next Monday at 10 o'clock a.m., and it's over at 11 a.m. sharp. Now, I mentioned this coming up, this ice cream program, 
because our very own Kevin Colleen, the jewel of Camel X, recently gave his spin on ice cream. Well, our youngest daughter, Emily, was leaned back at ease eating some strawberry ice cream the other day, and I said, hey, do you know you're eating that because of the Neapolitan birth order theory? What's that? She said, pretending to be interested. Well, let me tell you, your mother came up with this. She was from a big family like me, and she noticed that the oldest always got the chocolate, and then the middle kids got the, the vanilla, and then that icky strike, a stripe of a strawberry ice cream that was left for the younger ones. And they didn't know any better. It was cold and it was sweet and their mother was handing it to them. It must be love in a bowl, they thought. Thanks, Mom. And so their whole life, the younger members of the family are always eating strawberry ice cream. In my ice cream days of boyhood, my granddad used to take me to Velvet Freeze where they had a 15-minute teen time limit, but it was okay if you were with your grandpa. And he would get something called Pecan Crunch, which I tried one day, and it was pretty good. So that's what I still get to this day when I get a cone. And if I get a sundae, I get what Nana always got, butterscotch sundae. The Velvet Freeze butterscotch dispenser was a little crockpot thing in the back counter with a ladle in it, and it was the color of 10W30 Pennzoil, and it was as thick as glue. But it was delicious because it's what Nana got. When we were newlyweds, my wife and I rented an apartment at Jameson and Lansdowne, just about 200 calories from Ted Drew's. We were so close that when we were watching a movie on our little 10-inch black-and-white TV, I could dash over to Ted Drew's and get something during the commercial break and come back and not miss anything. My wife always got the mini chocolate concrete, and I always got the butterscotch sundae with whipped cream and macadamia nuts. That's what we always got, and we still get it now when we go back there about once a summer. So deciding what flavor of ice cream to get, it's a decision that's already made for us. Depends on what birth order we, we came from or who we were with when we were kids. Very few people are daring enough to try something all new. There are a lot of flavors that just sit in that freezer all summer long. With a whole other story, I'm Kevin Colleen. Can you imagine if if Kevin Colleen was your dad? Can you imagine what that would be like growing up with Kevin Colleen? You're eating ice cream. You just want to eat some ice cream. And he says, oh, by the way, did you know that your ice cream was influenced by the Neapolitan theory of childbirth order? I mean, who? <laughs> I, mean I, I say outrageous things to my kids, but... Uh, uh, but they always just tell me, Dad, you're not as funny as you think you are. Which, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're right. I'm not. I'm not disputing the the assertion of that uh, statement of fact. But uh, but growing up as a kid and uh, having Kevin Colleen as your dad, uh, that would be uh, that would that would be something indeed to watch uh, to experience. And I, I did. I, I've told the story now a couple of times since he was following this bear story. And he, he was talking about this on Hancock and Kelly uh, last week where, you know, Kevin talks about how he was going to to find where the bear, when the bear was roaming around St. Louis County. And he's going to follow this bear story and he's driving down by Sappington and he's looking for this bear. And then his wife calls him and says, hey, uh, while you're off on Sappington, the bear is one block from our house. And I, and so Kevin was, uh, you know, lamenting the fact that he was out trying to chase the bear, and the bear was actually a block from his house. And I'm sure there's some sort of a moral story there about chasing the bear, 
But in any event, uh, hey, we've come to the end of our exciting show. Stay tuned for uh, for uh, uh, Rewind, KMOX Rewind, which will be replaying the best of KMOX right after this. Thanks for joining us this evening on At Your Service. in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 